Well, again, if you have a Bible, I would love for you to join me in uh, Psalm 23, and in just a moment, we'll read from uh, that chapter. I'm really trying with the numbers here, so Psalm 23 here in the summer of 2023, and for the month of July, our plan is to kind of walk through uh, this passage. Now, here's what I'm going to ask on the front end, because some of you are already thinking this. I already know this psalm. I already know what this says. And I find in my life, very frequently, God does deep work in my soul, not through Scripture that I've never heard before, but actually fresh eyes to see things I've heard a thousand times before, but to see it in a way that is alive and active and Spirit-led, Christ-honoring and life-transforming. So here's my aim. I don't want you to know Psalm 23. I want you to know the God of Psalm 23. We know it better than we live it. So I'm going to invite you to stand. I know you probably just got seated and comfortable, but let's stand back up for the reading of God's Word and read this psalm. And even if you know it word for word, let's come with a spirit of humility, trusting, uh, hey, there's nobody in this room uh, that's depth, the bottom and have learned everything that God wants us to see from it. There's certainly a reason why this is perhaps the best-loved psalm. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down, makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray now together. Father, Work in such a way that it means more to us than it has ever meant in our lives to joyfully proclaim you are our shepherd. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a couple of quick things. Uh, Again, let's not leap uh, to the conclusion that we already know this psalm. We're jumping back into a study through the life of David. Uh, We started that back in May and have been doing some other things here on Sunday mornings, hearing from some of our ministry partners, and it's been awesome. And as we get back into studying in the life of David, we're going to do that by studying through Psalm 23. It's probably the best known psalm, right? And as we just read it, we can see that there's a reason for that. If I asked most of us in the room, can you give me the first line of, say, Psalm 80? Maybe some of you could, but... Of course, this is said Psalm 109, but when we say Psalm 23, in your mind, many of us already say, yes, the Lord is our shepherd. I want to say here that uh, I want you to know and trust before God ever wants something from you, he wants something for you. He's a shepherd, and a shepherd always desires, a good shepherd, let's make, make that qualification, a good shepherd always wants something for you. Not so much something from you. And what God wants for you is your very, very, very best. He wants what's very, very, very best for you. And do you know what God knows is very best for you? He is. 
the very best thing for you is an abiding, restored relationship with Him. And that can only happen through the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. Now, I know we've already prayed, but uh, I just want to be more and more prayerful as the older that I, that I get. So I'm going to ask you to let's take a moment and for you to pray to the Lord a couple of things. So I'm just going to lead you. If you'll bow your heads and you just, I'm just going to lead you. And, and, and then as the Spirit would lead you, you, you do. You do what you're led to do. Would you ask God to show and teach you from Psalm 23 what he wants you to see and know? Next, trusting that our Father in heaven is a good Father who wants to give good gifts to his children, would you ask him to give you a holy desire to regularly be in Psalm 23? And in times where nobody else is around, that you would seek him as you read this psalm. And then I'm going to ask you to pray something else and... If God were to answer this prayer, it'd have a powerful influence in your life. Your, your life would be, would, be, would be different. I'm not saying it'd be easier, but I am saying it'd be different. Would you, would you ask in humility, Father, shepherd me for your name's sake. Father, shepherd us. For your name's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, uh, let's get back here uh, in the Scripture. And really, uh, today's sermon will be just an introduction. We're kind of putting a foot in the water. We're going to go to the depths. But we're just going to get a foot in the pool this uh, this morning. And really, I want to focus your attention to one phrase. Primarily, it's used in verse 3. And here's the statement. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. Let me ask you a, a kind of a simple question, but, but then when you try to answer it, it might not be so simple. What is a soul? What is a soul? When David says that God shepherds in such a way that his soul is restored, what does that mean? What is a soul? You ready for a, a, a straightforward answer to a straightforward question? You are. That's what a soul is. You are a soul. Now, the first point that I want to make as we track through the psalm together is you do not have a soul. You are a soul. It's not something you have. It's something that you are. The soul is the real you. Hey, can we talk about this for just a moment? You've got a life that happens on the inside, don't you? And this gets tricky. This gets kind of tricky because we live in a culture that strongly emphasizes what your life looks like on the outside, right? If you're not careful, if you're not careful, you'll start to live just for that outward life. What people see and what people think about you will become more important to you than what God sees and knows about you. And if you live that way, Your testimony will never be, I shall not want. Your testimony will always be, I'm still in want. 
Why is that? Because you have a soul. You have a life that involves thoughts. It involves, uh, well, well, on the inside you have what we might call a mind, a will, and emotions. Anybody here have a mind? You're able to think. Anybody here, you have feelings. You're able to feel. And anybody here, you have a, a, a will, meaning that you can decide. You make choices. Oftentimes not good ones, but you still have the capacity, right? You have a mind, you have a will, you have emotions. And what the soul is, a healthy soul, those aspects of your inner life are what we'll call integrated. They work together in a healthy, God-honoring way. Now I'll give you this example to just simply illustrate that because of sin, because we're actually disconnected from our Creator, our mind, will, and emotions don't work well together. Is anybody experiencing that? You think this is what I should do, but you don't feel like it? Of course. And then you tell yourself, this is the decision that I need to make, but when it comes time to make the decision, you do the very thing you said you wouldn't do. Paul said that. Things I want to do, I don't do. What is wrong with me? Who will rescue me. Well, I've got two people that I live with. One's called 6 a.m. Brandon, and the other's called 2 p.m. Brandon. And these guys do not get along at all. They fight just about every day. 2 p.m. Brandon says to 6 a.m. Brandon, I want you up and going at it at 6 a.m. You need to do some good things, read the word, pray, you also need to exercise, man, if you just go on and knock it out. 2 p.m., Brandon makes that plan every day. Guess when? At 2 p.m. 6 a.m., Brandon wakes up. He knows what 2 p.m., Brandon said. And even to a degree would agree that that's a good decision to make. But 6 a.m., Brandon has what? Feelings. And 6 a.m., Brandon says, I don't feel like it. And 6 a.m., Brandon knows 2 p.m., Brandon's coming, but he doesn't care. And most every day, 6 a.m. Brandon and 2 p.m. Brandon bash heads until 10.30 Brandon says, y'all knock it off, I'm going to bed. Why is that? Because on the inside, we're not integrated, we're disintegrated. And I just gave kind of a, probably the easiest example from my own personal life about this matter that I could. But there's some hard things too in life, aren't there? Everything in life is unfulfilling until you in repentance and faith are reconnected to your creator through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the good shepherd. Let's put this verse on the screen. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Uh, give credence that I'm not up here just making claims. I mean, this is biblical reality. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God, just pick up on the verbs, formed. Uh, that's, a, that's a verb that's used uh, kind of as a, for an artist. Somebody who knows what they're doing and are creative about it. The Lord God formed the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Formed, breathed life. When we're talking about the soul, that's what we're talking about. You know, just this outward body that just has physical appetites. You have a soul. Because God himself formed it, shaped it. The Lord, the God, the, the soul, in other words, might, we might think of it this way, the God-breathed dimension of you, the real you. Your soul is not a part of you, it's the integrating whole of you. Now, this is important. Where does that verse come from? 
Y'all hang with me. That's Genesis 2, which means the next chapter is Genesis 3. So as things were, they are not. You still have a soul, but in sin, that soul is dead. Meaning that's why your mind, will, and emotions are so disintegrated. The soul is the one that in Christ has them operating in conjunction, not for your name's sake, but for his name's sake. So here's the reality for a dead soul. You don't have any integration, and the only person you live for is you. You no longer live for soul. You live for self. And that is destructive. And that is miserable. That's what they decide in Genesis 3. They say to God, we don't want you as our shepherd anymore. We're just going to use the Psalm 23 language. We'll be our own shepherds. We'll find the green pastures. We'll find the still waters. And we will choose our own path for my name's sake. That is what the fall is. And when they decided to do that, their souls were disintegrated, were disordered, were destroyed. And that's reality, friends. You've got to deal with the problems as they are. Now, you've got to decide. Most all of us can, can, can probably relate and, and to a degree agree with the concept that your life on the inside is disordered apart from God. But you, you need to really think carefully about how you think that problem gets solved. That's the human condition. The mind, the will, the emotions no longer work in healthy collaboration. And most of the advice you will hear will seek to address one of those things but have not much to offer to the other two, meaning you just need to get your body in shape. Just get in shape, man. Go to the gym, work out. Your life will be so much better. But that has nothing to do with your actual soul. I mean, it does. You, you just hang with me. But it's not comprehensive in its treatment or your mind. You've got to get control of your thoughts. Or don't be so emotional all the time. Or just make better decisions. Now, can we agree on this? If we had the capacity to do those things, they would have gotten done. Amen? If, if you were able to get your thought life in order... You would have done it. We have a problem that we ourselves created, but we ourselves cannot solve. You know what you need? You need a shepherd. Need a shepherd. The biggest lie human beings believe is, I got this. I can handle this. I can fix this. No, we need, we need a savior. And the good news is, we have one. His name is Jesus. Most all the remedies, you get it out, you read a book, or you get on Instagram, and you just start flipping, the, the advertisements will come up. Most all the remedies only address part of you. And this truth be told, if it's not comprehensive, even the help they're offering is not all that helpful in the long run. You'll get back to where you're saying, I'm still in need. Do we need better education directed at the mind? We need better emotional care. But again, that's just part of the problem. We need to make better decisions. All of those things are true. But what we really need is what David says. He restores my soul. The ruin of the soul began in Genesis 3 with the lie that God is not good. Or that God's holding out on you. Your soul is on the way to being restored when in humility, by faith and repentance, you believe that God's not against you. In Christ, he is eternally for you. You don't have a soul, you are a soul. And your soul was made by God, for God, to need God, which means you're not made to be self-sufficient. 
No sheep is self-sufficient. So that's the poetic language. You know anything about sheep? Not real bright. You train some animals to do some stuff. You try to play fetch with a sheep, have at it. You're going to be doing a lot of walking. Or you're trying to teach a sheep to come home, come, come, come. No, no, no. You've got to go pick that thing up and bring it back. Sheep's eyesight is terrible. And man, they might bite a little bit, but man, a horse can kick. An eagle can fly. A tiger can bite, I guess. I just wouldn't want to experience it. A sheep is defenseless. And what David is saying, don't take this as an insult. Take this as a reality check. You're a sheep. And you need a shepherd. And if you don't believe that, you will always be in want. It's actually, when you think about how defenseless, prone to pray, prone to wander, a pray, P-R-E-Y, prone to wander a sheep is. It's an amazing testimony that David says, I shall not want. That's not a testimony of the sheep's self-sufficiency. It is a testimony of the shepherd's care. And does anybody have that testimony this morning? God is my shepherd. No matter where I go in my life, I'm trusting he is with me. That's my first point is you don't have a soul, you are a soul. And then the next point will be this. Your inner or secret life shapes your soul most deeply. One of the first effects, you can go read this this afternoon if you want to in Genesis 3. One of the first effects of the fall is that Adam and Eve begin immediately to pretend to be something on the outside that they're not on the inside. It happens like that. The first thing they do is cover up. They went from both naked and unashamed to let's get these fig leaves. Because now what's happened? The inside is disordered. And this is the human condition now. Have you, have you had any thoughts today that you've not verbalized? Of course you have. Do you have any feelings that you say, oh, I can't share that with you? Of course you do. Because, because now we live in a, in a condition, in a condition where the outside and the inside, they're not in collaboration. And so one of the great tragedies... One of the great tragedies of life for sinful human beings now is to believe the performance of self is more important than the reality of self. And all of us are stuck in that condition unless and until you come to Christ. But then we'll be honest, even after that, you think there's not some religious performance that goes on that's not in line with how you actually are. This should be, this should be. The church should be different from the world in this way that you can actually show up and be who you really are. The struggle and the, and the praise, right? But the human condition is now that the performance of myself is more important than the reality of myself. And we're kind of living in this uh, age. You read this again and again if you pay attention. I mean, this is not even necessarily coming from Christian communities. Everybody's kind of miserable, anxious, angry, frustrated, discouraged. Why? Because we've never lived at a time, in my estimation, that there was more emphasis placed on the way things look and the way things they appear. I mean, you, you, you watch. Somebody snaps a picture, just a bunch of friends hanging out. And somebody in that group will say, no, 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 let me see that picture. And then based on how they appear in the picture, what's the next statement? Why don't you post that? That's just a little glimpse in what I'm talking about is that we're, we're kind of pressured to make everything appear. It's almost like self-marketing. And it's exhausting. It spills over to church life. If you ever, ever in your life, go on Instagram, Facebook, or whatnot, and have church posts, man, things were really hard today. 
All you ever hear is, here's how glorious it was. Here's how what a great day. But life is hard. And that's where the disconnect comes is people say, man, everybody else seems like they're so wonderful and my life seems miserable. But we need to flip it around, actually. I don't mean this in a mean way or, or, a, or apart from Christ, we're all going to be miserable, right? The performance of self has become more important than the reality of self. Now, that is not, I do want to say, because of the advent of social media. And I know that because Jesus said, When you pray, go into your closet, close the door, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you give, don't crash the cymbals, sound the trumpet, that your giving may be done. The big warning you get is beware of practicing your righteousness in front of other people in order to what? In order to be seen by them. Now here's kind of the deal. The inner life according to Jesus, shapes your soul most deeply, and increasingly, we have very, very shallow inner lives. Now, this was the issue before social media and the internet and all that, but I will say this. The cell phones and the constancy and the attention always having to be put on a screen, it is starving out most people's inner lives. Here's a test for you. I've said this before, but i say it again because it's important. Jesus is saying if you don't have an inner life being shepherded by God, your outer life, no matter what you pretend it looks like, is shrinking shallow. Is, is the deal is, can you sit and seek God on your own without media inputs if I gave you 10 minutes to do it? I, I, I am. I'm not going to belabor this. We might talk about it in the weeks to come. But are you spiritually thriving? Is your prayer life deep? He, he makes me lie down where I need to be fed. So that in and of itself tells us well, we kind of resist what's actually good for us. And that's true. We're getting to a place where we now deeply believe that our deepest happiness will come from being who other people think we are rather than living in a way that God views us and knows that we are. What I'm trying to get at is the shepherd wants to shepherd the real you, not the performative you, the real you. We live in a culture now that's almost 100% performative. And again, what I mean by that is almost everything in our culture conforms you to mainly think about everything about your life, how it looks So in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the main points Jesus is making is who you are when no one is around is who you really are. But again, the catch is, for many of us, that never happens. Because even when we are physically alone, we're always with somebody, some way, tuned into something. Right? What do you desire when nobody's around? What do you choose to look at, read, watch when nobody else is around? You know, that's the best indicator of who you really are because the cataclysm of the fall is so significant that we're actually divided with our, within our own self, disintegrated. You lie to you about you to say things about you that aren't true of you, especially at the soul level. So what word would you use to describe what I'm talking about, the inner life? 
Because right now it's possible to distract yourself constantly from your inner life. Some of you might say, I don't even have an inner life. Yes, you do. You might just be distracted from it all the time. I read this this week, and when I read it, I just said, man, I needed to hear that, so I'm going to pass it along to you. If you want to be happy and joyful in the Lord, trade in forever the need to be noticed for a hidden life with Christ. Trade it in forever. The destructive nature of the performative life has been around since the fall. When Adam stood before God, covered up and hiding. Jesus tells us that what you do in secret, not what you do to be noticed, is most important. And then one other thing on this, and then we'll move on to my third point. Jesus actually says, then your father, who is in secret, will reward you. As we study through the life of David, there's going to be a person that we encounter again and again whose entire life is performative. I mean, basically everything he does, everything he says is on the basis of how it looks and is thought about by others. He lives under what has historically been called the fear of man or the fear of other people. The most important thing in his life is what other people think of him and by every indication He doesn't really have an abiding relationship with God. He doesn't seek God. He will rarely ever see him praying. And his name is Saul. And by the metrics of his culture, he checked all the boxes. He's the tallest. He's the strongest. He's the wealthiest. He's the king. He's taller. He's better. And he's miserable. And in contrast to him is David, the the man after God's own heart, who will exemplify our third point, and it's this. The creator, God, the creator of your soul is the only trustworthy shepherd of your soul. You're only able to live in a way that is full of contentment, really helps other people, loves other people when when your soul feels its worth in light of Christ. So again, 2023, we kind of replaced the care of the soul with the performance of the self. And just hang with me for a moment. We, we, we focus more on the self than we do on the soul. And here's, here's a way you can think about it. We just sang a song. We sang several songs, but we sang this song. Bless the Lord, O oh my, what do we sing? Soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Can you think how strange it would sound if we took out the word soul and put in the word self? Bless the Lord, O oh my, self. That sounds strange. Or then sings myself, my Savior God to thee. Or Jesus, lover of my soul, or Jesus, lover of myself. You, you can hear innately, we know the self is not the soul. Yourself is the part of you that you want to put to death so that your soul can live. What Jesus said about the self is not focused on it. Jesus actually said, deny it. And you live in 2023 in a culture that says, don't you dare deny yourself anything. And it's destroying us. Because you were not made for you. You were made for God. 
And if you live for yourself, it's actually a way to destroy yourself. Yourself is the part of you that is to be denied so that your soul can be restored. Well, I think in our very first sermon in the life of David, we talked about this, and I want to bring it back to your attention. We're going to talk about things at the soul level for just a moment. And on the other end of that, we've got communion. So a couple, three words I'm going to put on the screen. We'll start with this. Every soul kind of establishes three things. The first is your, your identity. What is it that gives you a sense of worth? What are you known for? What, what are the things that other people say to describe you? What makes you, you, right? And that's what you're looking for your identity in. There's some common ones, some common ones. Your job, pretty common one in our, in our culture in America. If you ask me, tell me about yourself, one of the first things that comes up is, this is where I work, this is what I do. Where you went to school can be a part of an identity. Did you get in? Did you not get in? Money, huge one. How much I make. If, uh, we, uh, we're we're kind of told in our culture, the more attractive you are, the more money you have, uh, the more successful you are, the more valuable you are. God never told you that. The sinful fallen world told you that. And here's kind of the catch. Even the people that are kind of succeeding in those ways, they're not happy either. They're not going to say, I shall not want. Here's the dynamic. You're going to always want more and more. If you're attractive, you know, you're in the race to stay attractive. And man, that's exhausting. If you got money, somebody's got more. And then that's exhausting. Or you, you, you already understand that point. Your identity. Functionally speaking, Wherever you find your identity, that's what's shepherding you in life. It's going to lead to a certain place. Because wherever we look for identity, next word on the screen, that's where we're trying to establish our security. Security is what you look to to say the future is going to be okay. I'm able to rest easy tonight because I have... See how it works with the identity. If money is your identity, you say I can rest easy because I have enough of it. Jesus tells a story about that. Bigger barns this guy built. Now I can rest. He said, now I say to my soul, you can relax. And Jesus said, he's so foolish because this very night your soul is required of you. What's a profit of man to get in the whole world and forfeit his soul? So identity, security, they're deeply bound together. And uh, that leads to the third thing, and that's, that's happiness. Maybe you'd say peace. Maybe you'd say joy. Happiness is, is based on what you think your life makes your life worth Living, So I cannot imagine life without. So all of us, all of us are looking for those things at the soul level. When you decide to place most deeply your sense of identity, where you most deeply place your sense of identity will determine what you hope for in security. And that's our world, y'all. Establish your identity in your sexuality. Establish your identity in this is where you go to school. Establish your identity in this and in that and in that and in that and in that. If you establish your identity in something other than the Lord, it's only a matter of time where you say, I am so in want. You'll never have soul-level happiness. So here's what's true of us because of sin, because we've all said to the Lord, I will shepherd myself. I don't need your input. Don't value your wisdom. We all look to the wrong things to give us identity, security, and that's why very few people are happy. 
So if we add them up, whatever you're looking for, those things in is your shepherd. And what I'm trying to tell you this morning is only God is the trustworthy shepherd of your soul. I just want to give you a little glimpse on the goodness of the good shepherd. Genesis 2-7, breathed into them, breathed into them, and into, into his nostrils the breath of life. Luke makes this very clear, Luke 24, 46, if you want to go read it, when Jesus is on the cross. No sin of his own, but now he's being crucified and offering his life, what the Bible calls a propitiation for sins, an atoning sacrifice for sins. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The very next statement is, and then he breathed. His last. They put him in a tomb. Rolled the big stone away. Uh, st- stone there. We'll get to the rolled away in just a moment. Do you know what the first word must have been spoken in that tomb? The name of the Lord. Because he started breathing again. He's come back to life. And he walks out. And in John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. What is going on here? The restoration of souls. The identity of a follower of Jesus. Now we're going to conclude and transition into communion, but I want you to hang with me. The identity of a follower of Jesus is he or she belongs to Christ, has a soul that is being restored, finds security in belonging to him, has deep contentment in the Lord that abides no matter the circumstances of life as we walk towards being home with him forever. Think of the way that uh, the scriptures explain it. If you're going to live physically, you're going to have to do some things. You're going to have to breathe, you're going to have to eat, and you're going to have to drink. And when God explains to us this is what communion with the Lord looks like, He breathes on them, they receive the Holy Spirit, and now we're going to remember him with eating and drinking. So uh, if you weren't able to um, get what we need for communion on your way in, it's not one bit of an issue for you to stand and go get that. It's no problem at all. We can take a moment. Just logistically to what you have, there's two parts to it. Peel off the top and that's the the bread and then there's another that you peel back for the cup. All right. You ready to put some things together? 
you live in a performative culture that everything you do on the outside is emphasized to a greater degree than what is true on the inside. And that is also true for what we're about to do. There's an outside dynamic to the Lord's Supper. Got something you're going to put in your mouth, you eat, and something you drink. And if you're not careful, the scripture warns us about this. If you're not careful, you'll go through all of this, and it will have actually no correcting, helping, abiding effect on what's going on on the inside. It's beautiful, beautiful the way Psalm 23 ends. You have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And then the, the, the Last Supper, there's at a table. We're, we're expecting that psalm to be true, that he's prepared a table. But here's how he's prepared it. He's prepared it in Christ. So at the table with Jesus is where you should think carefully through some things like, how is my soul? Am I being led by him? Or am I just distracted over here and doing my own thing? Communion is, I know this is going to sound really strange, it's about communion. You know what I mean? Like, Do you have communion with, with God? The amazing truth of the gospel is that in Genesis 3, when man and woman sought to replace God as God at Calvary, God came in the form of a man to replace sinners at the cross. It's amazing grace. So a couple of questions, and then we'll observe communion. Are you living for his name's sake, or are you living for your name's sake? The Bible tells us when the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and giving thanks, he said, this is my body broken for you. So we take and we eat. Likewise, he took the cup after they had eaten. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's remember the Lord together. At this time, I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to sing together. Next thing we're going to do, and um, yeah, just just again say, don't let's not know the just know Psalm 23. Let's know the God of Psalm 23, and as we sing to the Lord together, make room, allow room in your life for the Lord, uh, who knows what's deep down on the inside about you. To uh, encourage you that, that he is willing to be your shepherd. Father, thank you for Jesus. He's the good shepherd. Because of sin, because of our own stubbornness, we, we turn to a lot of other things to guide us, feed us, to restore us. But all of those things do not lead us to be content. They actually lead us to be increasingly discontent, lonely, isolated. Lord is my shepherd. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray.